You are listening to the Let Them Testify podcast with your girl, Layla. So what are you waiting for? Let's testify. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So glad that you're here. Uh, this week, I got to chat with Dawn Peterson, who is the manager of the Adra Op Shop in Victor Harbour, South Australia. It's a great little shop. Um yeah so much cool stuff going on down there so yeah we'll hear a bit about her life and then heaps of the stuff that's going on in the op shop and just how god has been leading and providing for his shop um so yeah without further ado let's testify hey dawn uh thank you for being here that's fine um just so before we start um what is your favorite bible verse um, Galatians 6 9 so let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up that's beautiful um, I really like that verse too what is it about that verse that really stands out for you just keep going yeah <laughs> just yeah. keep on keeping on yeah yeah that, yeah so that's such an important message um, so just for the listener, just to get a bit of your background, so like where you grew up, that kind of thing. Um, I grew up here in South Australia. Um, we lived at Edwardstown until I was 18 when I went to Avondale. While I was in South Australia, I went to church school, so I enjoyed that. I went to Avondale and did um, business admin and then went to Victoria to work for the church in the conference office there in 1971. Met hubby during that year, got married the following year and spent another 19 or so, 18 or something, 19 years in Victoria, have three boys. And then we moved to South Australia in 1992. Excellent. So just uh, go back a little bit to like your childhood, uh, you said you went to the Sevi oh, to church school. So was that firstly was that the Sevi school, and secondly was was God where was God in your childhood? Um, yes, it was the the Sevi school at Prospect, which was a primary and high school, all in one building. Um, I guess God was not probably front and centre, but very clearly it was part of our lives. Yeah. Mm. We kept the Sabbath and mum and dad did a lot of work in the church and yeah, as I got older I participated in other activities that the church run, like pathfinders and so on. So yeah, very much part of it. Okay, so if he wasn't front and centre, then when did God become really important to you? And what was that like? I think he was probably always important in different ways. Um different times in my life when I needed him he was there Um, it's probably not until um, six or seven years ago that he became even more real than ever before even though I knew he was there okay so what happened for you then 2016 we were grey nomads and we had a very big accident where the caravan rolled over and so did the car and we were not hurt 
Um, we were pleased about that, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But just the following things that happened um, were nothing short of miracles. When we arrived into um, Alice Springs, which is a bit of a long story, um, we were able to stay with someone that hubby had known for 50 years and didn't even know he lived in Alice Springs. Yeah, right. And we were able to stay in their house while they went away with the loan of a car so we could sort our problems out um, while we were there. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Um, so have you experienced, I know we were talking the other day at church about a, a few things that have happened. I'd just be really interested to hear like your stories with God and things that he has like done or places that you've seen him work over your life. Um, yes. Um, he, um, he seemed to call us towards Darwin when uh, we were in the Northern Territory. And as it turned out, we were there for over a year and helped the, the minister, Pastor Mark Wilson, run an evangelistic program for um, folk that were interested. Um, it was a reaping program. Many folk had lots of interests. Um, the church folk had interests that they could invite. And uh, it was a big success at that time. And we thought, wow, is that why God wanted us here? <laughs> yeah. And then we, we continued to Grey Nomad. Yes, we had the accident. We continued to Grey Nomad after that because my husband believed when you get kicked off a horse, you've got to get back on again. <laughs> yes. And we kept going. And then we started thinking about settling down after five years full-time on the road. And we didn't realise it immediately that it was God that was calling us. And uh, we were here in South Australia at our son's house and we started to think about if we settled down, where would we live? Yeah. And um, because they were having a child, or no, they were going, going to get married, that's right, and so on, um, did we want to live in another state or did we want to live here? Um, so we started looking around for somewhere to live that we could afford because yeah. we needed to rent. And we found something that was immediate yeah. and the landlord was prepared to wait six weeks for us instead of wanting us to or somebody to take it straight away and we thought oh it's meant to be that yeah, kind of yeah, thing yeah. and then after we were organized and uh, settled in we thought we should do some volunteering in the local area and therefore we should do it for ADRA yeah and we came here and started volunteering and within a couple of months of helping out here I was asked did I want to be the manager and I knew then that God was calling me, calling me, calling me, and that's why he called me here yeah. um, to be at the Adra shop. Yeah, that's, that's pretty... It's so interesting to me how we don't necessarily realise that God's calling, but you look back and go, oh, he was there all along. Mm. And then to have the person who was the manager at the time tell me that he'd been praying that somebody would come along that would be able to run the shop because it was getting the better of him... Yeah. Um, all of these things put together, put the picture together, that, that's where God wanted me to be. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Um, so you said that you spent five years grain nomading. What was that like? I, I have a massive interest in this area myself because I just love the idea of just packing up and driving. Um, so what were some of your experiences on the road over those five years? Um, just being able to go where we wanted, when we wanted, how we wanted. <laughs> We had a budget to stick to um, and we worked out how many kilometres we should do a week on average because yeah. um, that was the biggest cost was fuel. 
uh, and we managed that without any dramas. Um, just being able to walk out of the caravan at, at the spot we'd picked to camp out, we did mostly freedom camping, and just look out across the river or the desert or whatever it was and just enjoy it yeah. and have no pressures of time or family or anything on us. And as far as um, attending church, which we did almost every Sabbath, depending how far away church might be, um, it was a real blessing in my life to be able to attend church, meet people, and have no responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I can, I can see how that would be really nice. Um, yeah, that's yeah, definitely something for my bucket list to be able to do that. Um, I'll have to get your advice when I get there. Um, <laughs> so, um, what were you doing before that? You said that you lived in Melbourne for a while. What were you guys doing over there? Uh, Hubby was working for the State Electricity Commission and um, I had a couple of part-time jobs until the children went to school and then I got I got a full-time job, but it didn't impact the kids because mine was um, had some flexibility in it and Les was usually home by the time the children got home from school um, and so on. So, yeah, we were doing that. And then um, hubby um, got sick, uh, beginning of um, 89, um, and I realised that we, the best thing to do was to move where we had more family network support. Yeah. Him being nine years older than me, and the youngest of eight, all of his family were already busy with children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of their own yeah and um, there was no extra support that I needed yeah. he was uh, got on extremely well with my mother which is kind of different <laughs> for a change <laughs> with mother-in-laws and um, so we decided to move to South Australia where I just had that extra um, family network support for me or for him too but for me and for the children as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. having that support network, network around while you're raising kids is just so important. Where did you see God come through in those kinds of areas? Um, when all of that happened, I wasn't really sure where he was. Yeah. Um, he did care for Les. I, I can see that more than, you know. But because um, our family was in upheaval, um, with a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 6-year-old when it happened. Yeah. It's like, what yeah. do I do now? Yeah. Um, and I had all sorts of thoughts about leaving and what was the point of that? Where was I going to go? Um, you know, or you, you have selfish thoughts about self-preservation. Mm. Then you have responsibility thoughts about your children and your husband. And then you try to tell yourself that it's, the sickness talking, not not the man that you know is talking. Um, and I guess even without asking God, he led us yeah. um, on, on a pathway um, to to survival. Yeah, yeah. It's very good like that. Um, yeah, so what made you guys decide to grow nomad? Like when did that kind of come in? Um, when um, things had settled down for my husband here and he got 
some medical attention and so on, we um, had the opportunity to buy a business. And I had um, some reasonable experience at admin and, and all of that sort of thing. And the guy who wanted to sell it, I was already working for him. And so um, he, was, he funded it rather than I had to borrow elsewhere. And um, so we ran our own business for nearly 20 years. There would have been so many challenges and like really I, I assume joyous times come with that. What what was the, what were the challenges in running your own business? Hmm, it was 24/7. Yeah. Um looking at um staff staffing it and at that particular time the wages business was in a bit of an upheaval like it is now with them saying it should be better and Fair Work Australia and all that sort of stuff happening. Um, but, you know, it's not until you look back that you feel like God was leading you on what to do. And we did some Australian workplace agreements with the staff and that worked out really well. And um, it just went from good to better to best, you know. Yeah. And the idea was to um, try to improve the business so that that would be our retirement so i from that business that's kind of where you got i'm assuming once you closed up the business that's when you went grey nomading is that yes, right? yes we yeah. sold the business and, and went grey nomading where was the first place that you went we did a shake-up tour um to find out what we should have on board and what we shouldn't have on board and what we didn't need and all those sort of things around york peninsula and air peninsula and, and back to Mount Barker to our son's house um, so that we knew what not to take and all yeah. those sort of things, yes. Yeah, that's, that's really smart. Um, I love it around that area. Um, did do you guys have any, like, God moments in that or was it just, like... No, it was just interesting, met lots of people, caught up with lots of people that we hadn't seen for a while, um, that, that kind of thing around. Um, we took five weeks to do that so that we weren't just out there for a quick week. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to sort of figure out um, what was needed and what's not needed. Yeah, Adra. Um, I'm really interested to hear um, just some of the stuff that you've experienced here um, through like your work and God's leading and that kind of thing? Hmm. I guess it was um, quite amazing to me that a few of the folk that work here that, um, that were sort of managing the shop at the shop level um, came to speak to me and said, um, we think um, Peter who was the manager at the time, is grooming you, was the word they used. And I looked at them and I said, I beg your pardon? And they said, oh, no, 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 not like that, not like that. We think he's grooming you to take over the, to be the manager of the shop. I said, I've only been here a couple of months and Peter's got it well in hand. No, 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 no. But whatever happens, if that chance arises, we want you to know that we would be really happy to work with you. And I thought, oh, 
I hardly know these people <laughs> and they're already saying that they'd be happy if I became the manager. And I spoke to Les about it. He said, well, if it happens, I'll support you. I go, okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And that came about. Yes. Knowing Peter very well, I knew that that was going to come about. Um, no, I think it's really amazing when stuff like that happens. Um, especially when you're coming into something not really knowing why you're here or what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. Um, anything else? Like, what? Like, I know that you guys do a lot of work with the community here. Yes, um, when I first came here, I believed that my role as, as a Christian, as an Adventist Christian here at ADRA, was to witness to the staff more than the public. Because in an operation like this, there is admin that has to be done. It doesn't matter what area of the church that you are taking care of, there is admin in the world in which we live yeah, has to yeah. be done. So therefore, I would not be able to spend time on the floor chitty-chatting to all the clients that came in here. So my, my witness had to be to the staff in what I did or how I did it or stuff like that. And um, everybody knows here that I believe in God. They also know that that's why I'm here because I'm working for him. And they also know that I fully believe that this is God's shop and he will look after the shop and all that visit it. Um, even though there's another op shop opened up the road. Um, people ask me about the impact of that. And I said, I don't believe it will have an impact on this shop because this is God's shop. So it's him that will lead the shop and take care of it. Yeah. And after a couple of months, that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I've tried to treat it as a real business, which is what it really is. Yeah. So I network quite a bit, which I had done with my own business, is networking, which is word of mouth, spreading the word. And um, yeah, we've um, got a lot of um, recognition in the community, especially in the villages when people need to um, downsize or um, the estate becomes a deceased estate for us to come and help them to sort things out and so on. So, and word spreads. We've had invitations to speak at a village, to tell them all about ADRA, not just the shop, but ADRA around the world and in Australia and, and here locally, which we've been able to do. Um, we've been able to support many of the schools here. I had this idea, and of course, when we get ideas, we don't recognize that they're from God immediately. We just think it's a great idea. Yeah. And I'd seen the ads on TV for Smith Foundation, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, yeah. To support school children, poverty in schools. Yeah. And I'd also seen the um, shoebox appeal, I think, for Africa, Christmas shoebox Just, appeal. Yeah. And I thought, I wonder if I can put the two of them together. Yeah. A box full of necessaries for kids at school. And so I started to chat to the chaplains at the schools here, the public schools. And they thought it was a great idea, and we've run with that now for four years yeah. in giving boxes of stationery um, to the school, and they give them to the, the young people who need them the most to help out. We also financially support the schools, which was happening, and we've expanded it so that the, the support network in the school can support some of these youngsters 
that don't have the right uniform or don't have the right needs or don't have breakfast or lunch yeah. or something like that. And we just do it quietly and move about and, and stay in touch with the schools and have a relationship with them so that if they want something that they think we might have, they give us a call. Like, could you save all your crochet doilies for us so we can make those window things, dream catchers. And then um, I met a lady who I've never met before, not here at the shop, who knits teddies. And she mainly knits them for SA ambulance as trauma teddies. And I spoke to her about knitting some teddies for trauma rooms at the schools. Um, when little ones particularly have a bit of a meltdown or some little problem happens. And so she started doing that. And I meet with her about once every two months and pick up a couple of bags of teddies and the schools just love them. And it turns out that her husband was somebody I knew when I was about 15 years old, oh. way back. <laughs> um, so that was just another little thing that happened. We've, and then, you know, I began to talk to God like he was another person in the car, you know. Listen, I don't know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to need you. <laughs> yeah. um, how am I going to solve this driver problem or how am I going to solve whatever uh, has come up? And uh, many a time I get to work and the phone rings and it's somebody wanting to talk to me about being a driver or somebody wanting to talk to me about volunteering or something like that. And it's almost like he had them already sorted out to ring me before I even asked him. Yeah. And so we have a great team of people here that have been here for years. Mm. Um, the men on the truck are newish or in my time and we have a great team on the truck and one of those lads that helps his father is 17. He appears to have a learning disability and he can't read or write. And I thought, oh, I wonder if we can help. So I spoke to his parents and he, I believe he's not on the spectrum but mum says he's just got a learning disability. And I thought, well, that was a bit strange because surely they could learn to read or write in 17 years, even mm -hmm. if it was from mum or dad. However, the family's slightly dysfunctional. So I asked them, would it be all right if I found a tutor for him to learn to read and write? And they said they'd love it. I spoke to the local high school. I didn't get any answers back about ideas. And one day I was chatting to my hairdresser, as you do, as ladies do. And she said, I know exactly the person. I said, excuse me? She said, yes, I do. My husband. I said, tell me more. She said, he's a retired high school teacher. He's a professor of English. And he's got experience with teaching youngsters with disabilities. I said, can you ring him up before I get too excited? <laughs> so then he says... Um, yes and she let me know that he said yes and I sat in the chair at home and went Lord you just sorted all that out that was you wasn't it just like that mm -hmm. so we had a meet up parents and the tutor they were happy with him that was something to look forward to at the beginning of this year and um, I got to talk to him privately after that interview and asked him how much was it going to cost us because we were going to fund it of course and he didn't want to charge us so the most I have paid out is two tankfuls of petrol <laughs> um, to, to help him because he lives on Highmarsh Island and comes here. And the boy is just beaming with excitement on how far he's come 
and the tutor thinks he's doing really well. His parents are very happy. He's very happy. And we're all so excited here in the difference that it's made in his life. And he brings me his homework and shows me. And the teacher is excited because of the progress. But as you can imagine, teaching him the alphabet and words is very fundamental. And a lot of the illustrations and other things have been aimed at that age group, which is, you know, five, six, seven. Yeah. And so he's been trolling the internet to find interests that match his age group that help with the teaching of words and letters and so on. And so the teacher is getting lots of excitement out of doing it as well. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, it's, it's just so awesome when to see how God is still moving in our world mm-hmm. even today, despite everything else that's going on. Um, I guess just out of interest, how... like. Living in Australia, and people tend to often assume that, like, all kids here are, like, fine and, you know, we don't really have poverty and stuff here because it's not, I suppose, as blindingly in your face unless you're actually looking for it. So what is the need for um, kids at schools like in reality? Like, what's the reality of that situation here? Uh, you probably have to talk to the... Um, um pastoral care workers that I have um, a bit to do with and I was surprised to find out that some young people go home from school to a house that doesn't have a single biro in it and they said to me you're probably from a household where you've got 30 biros 20 don't work five you can't find (laughs) when the phone rings you can't find a pen you know that kind of thing yeah Whereas some of these kids don't have even a, pie, a pen at home. But it means that it's not just the, you know, the child has a problem. The whole family is, yeah. is and has a problem. Um, some of these boxes that we did, we took advice from school teachers as to what to put in them. And so we make them all the same. Yeah. Um, some of those become a headspace for young people that are living in domestic violence situations. And they keep them at school. And they told me also that if some of these young people took these boxes home, they would get them taken off them. Yeah, right. And until you're actually confronted with some information like that, you have no idea that there are people out there that behave and think and do these kind of things. Because my upbringing was regular, so to speak. My children's upbringing, I think, was pretty good. Um, and you had no idea that the, the next person um, is living a completely different life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that I definitely see that being the case um, just with a lot of, like, my own findings and, like, conversations that I've had with friends and stuff is that we just don't actually realise how in need people are in our own country. Mm. Um, so I guess for the listener, is there anything that they could do to help in these situations like if they're listening to this and they feel really I suppose convicted to go to like look into this deeper where would you direct them um just to their local school and ask to speak to the pastoral care workers and this is in our local government state schools um there's not as much need in private schools as you can imagine because people have to have the money to send their children to private schools but here in South Australia there is more need in private schools than normal because there is government funding to send a youngster to a private school. 
so I guess it's across the board, but in the state schools, it, it's harder because the education is free in inverted commas. And um, so the kids just send them off to school as a babysitting service and don't really care what's actually going on at school. Yeah. Um, so if people wanted to get in touch and like with like the programs that you're running, is there a way that they can do that? Um, they can. We're running the program for the schools under the ADRA banner. So it's not an individual thing and it's not just the local church thing it, it is all part of ADRA that we're doing it it is an ADRA project so if they felt that they wanted to help or a group of people from somewhere wanted to get together and help their local state school or another school um, they could talk to the school to see what the need is etc etc and how they could best help and then go back and shoot around ideas and then perhaps have a track to the conference ADRA director about doing something in this area of yeah. school, yeah. if that was um, what they were thinking. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for that. I'm sure that really helps people out there. Um, yeah, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Uh, it's really awesome to see how, yeah, God is still leading in our lives, even in the here and now. Um, is there anything else that you I'd probably just like to say that God is leading in our lives even when we don't know that he is and sometimes we don't even recognize it until we're up against something or we have time to reflect about what has happened over the past one two years or decade or whatever and that even though we are sinners and we don't say and do the right things at all times he still is willing to help us in spite of our problems and who we are or our strong personalities or lack thereof. Yeah, that's so beautifully put. Um, so, yeah, thank you for being on the podcast. Um, yeah, as always, guys, if you want to get in contact, um, our Instagram is just let them testify or one word, uh, send us a message or give us a follow. Um, and, yeah, we will see you next time. Bye.